to-do list Tick it off and add some Welcome to Thoughts, Conversations and To-Do Lists with me, your host, Fiona Ross. And as per usual, those of you that have been listening know that I get excited and every guest I have, I go, I'm excited to welcome. But that's because it is true and I do get very excited. Uh, And I'm again excited to welcome my guest for today's episode, which is that Eric Alper. Welcome, Eric. Welcome. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. And you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> see i we can do this all day off air we were talking about the fact that fiona loved to do this because she gets to take a back seat and ask people questions and i said well i'm just going to throw it back to you yeah <laughs> and you did that beautifully so, that- <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you um so my i know eric through pr for my own music so most of the conversations we've had have been based around me so what we were saying before was just how lovely it would be that i don't need to talk about me and so we'll we'll see how I, i'm going to try some avoidance tactics and if you try finally we back. get to talk about me we yeah. get to finally i know, I know. after all these years yeah <laughs> <laughs> So um, I, I, I'm going to go through because what I do for each of my guests, because I say it's, it's called thoughts, conversations and to do list. So literally 10 minutes before um, I joined on this call with you, I wrote down a list of thoughts and kind of things that came into my head when I thought I'm going to speak to Eric Alper. What comes into my head? But before Uh-oh. I do that, I know before I do that, um, I don't like to, you know, when you have bios and people read the kind of Eric Alper's this, that, and the other, um, mm-hmm. I don't like to do that. So I'm going to hand that over to you. So if someone said, well, who is this Eric Alper? How would you describe yourself? I don't know. How would you? <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. Okay. Um, I am a music publicist. Um, it's the only thing I've wanted to do my whole life. Um, and I'm so lucky to be able to do what I do. Uh, I'm a father to 20 year old Hannah I'm a husband to year old um Candace and uh I've uh, managed to eke out a, a pretty great life from being able to to do what I do so I work with all the the media with the daily newspapers the weeklies the monthlies the blogs Spotify playlists radio stations TV stations and have worked with um seemingly thousands of artists over the 25 year career ranging from guar to bob geldof to ringo star and those match pumpkins dog uh sesame street um bob the builder and so much more and that's kind of what i do i'm pausing and apparently i tweet a lot you do well and i'm pausing to write down sesame street because i'm, I'm adding that onto, onto my a Sesame Street. So every every now and again, um, I'll get lucky and have an artist that have sold um gold or platinum in Canada or in the US. Um, and I have about, I don't know, maybe 125, 150 gold and platinum awards in the house. Um, 
But the day I got one from Sesame Street for their greatest hits when they came out on CD was the happiest day. Um, I showed everybody. Normally, I, I never take photos with like, this is me with my gold album that I earned because um, it's all egotistical. But the Sesame Street one. Yeah, you, you better believe I shared that one. That was uh, that was I great. Love that. I love that. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, no, that's brilliant. And, and I have to say, and I wouldn't expect you to say this as much as obviously you are the master at promotion. You're also a legend. Uh, yes, that's true. I'm a legend. Yeah, I, I am. I, I'm a god amongst men and women. I am the greatest that ever lived um, in and out of publicity. I am a behemoth onto myself. I'm a Marvel superhero come to life. Um, I know that this is audio, but if you just picture Chris Hemsworth, um, but even more good looking and it's stronger. It's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm amazed that I said yes to this. I shouldn't be talking to minions like, <laughs> like you, cause I'm far too busy. It's no. Um, the, 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 the weird thing is, is that even on social media, like, I, I tweet and post on social media the exact same way and the exact same things when I had zero followers, like two followers, I posted the exact same stuff. It was all music news and fun stuff that I find online or um, things that pop into my head. And my wife is so happy that I got to go on social media because I don't bug her with any of this stuff, but everything just happened. It's like, you being a musician, you can you write a song in complete isolation away from the general public and you think that the song might be good. And then the next thing you know, it hits like 50,000 streams across YouTube and Spotify. And you're like, wow, like people like this, but you don't do anything different for the next one. Because if you try to figure out who your audience is, the nameless, faceless audience, you'd you just you'd it's too big to wrap your head around. So. You know, I tend not to look at the numbers on social media because it doesn't make a difference to me. I also post exactly what I want to post and do the things I want to do based on the fact that it makes me happy and the artists I'm working with happy. And if that's if that's at the end of the day, what happens and, and I'm a good person for it, then uh, then I've I'm I've I've won. I've won my day. Well, and you are, I mean, you have, and I haven't got it in front of me, and, and you may know, I mean, you have millions of followers all over social media, so you <laughs> you have a big yeah. audience there. Yeah, it's funny, when my mom said, when, when my mom found out that I had a lot of followers, somebody came up to her and said, you know, he, he's he's got like a lot of followers um, on social media, and my mom called me, because she doesn't really know a lot about social media, and um, she said, are, are you leading a cult? <laughs> like, are... Like what do you get your followers to do? And and it was so it was so bizarre to hear that from her. Cause I'm Did like, I get yes. them to send me yeah, yeah, yeah. I get them to send me money. Um <laughs> I have a harem full of people um that do every every little thing I don't want to do. No, it's just it's it's so it's so bizarre. Um there was one time I, I was in a gro there was one time I was in a grocery store and I was paying for my stuff and the cashier behind the counter said Oh, you're you're Eric Alper, and I said, yeah. She said, I've been following you for years, and I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Uh, like on Twitter, and she's like, what's what's Twitter? <gasps> and so 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 that kind of scared me a little bit. But other than that, um, but having stalkers are, are fun um, to a certain extent. But other than that, it's okay. 
Well, because you are referred to it. In fact, it's on my list. One of the things I wrote down was Twitter God. And that's not your term, I don't think, or my term. You are genuinely referred to in a lot of um, articles and interviews as a Twitter God. I mean, that's big yeah, words. Go- yeah. Yeah, that's bizarre. Um, <laughs> and, you, you know, it, I mean, Twitter is, is right now, uh, depending on where you look, I guess, it's just a cesspool of hate and anger and and white supremacist and politics and and I've never I've never posted about that kind of stuff. I have, and it doesn't do me any favors because I think slowly I realize that people are are finding my stream or my thread um, because they want to get away from all of that um, because it's nothing but good thoughts and feelings and memes that hopefully make people smile and um, uh good stuff. I mean, I never go political. I never go negative except for that sentence I just said. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, 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 I mean, partly because I, as a bubble says, I never, I never know who I'm going to be working with. So even if I don't like a band, even if I don't like a movie or a film or a TV show, I'll never let anybody know on social media because a, I, 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 they don't care. Like they don't care what I have to think, say about, the political sprawl there's people there's better people that do that um and 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 i never know down the road who i'm going to work with and i never want anybody to say oh that's the guy that slammed us you know when i was at um when i was at uh, b- before i started my own pr company i i worked for a company called Koch and then entertainment one after e1 bought bought Koch um and uh i was looking for an assistant on the PR side of things. And there was one person that I really, really liked. And although that you're not really supposed to go on social media, um, I wasn't in HR, so I didn't care. So <laughs> I want, I looked at them just to see, because I wanted to see if there's nothing but photos of them falling on the ground drunk. Cause as we do a lot of events and parties um, or, you know, what if they just love to argue all the time? Cause for public relations you don't you don't want that um and this person slammed one of the bands that actually they would be working um mm. if i hired them and um and it's okay for them to have an opinion but i think you know i think people forget on on twitter and facebook or instagram or tiktok it just takes one person to absolutely destroy your 25 years of of goodwill that you've built up it takes one word or one bad you know um kind of misdirection for them to share it to somebody else and the next thing you know you have you have a whole group of people who don't know who you are who don't follow you coming at you and it's hard to get out of that um so that's why i just try to stay positive because i am i'm a positive person i'm a internal optimist for everything you are and i love that but i have and, and i have to say i do love and, and obviously i follow you all over social media and there's many a meme that you post that i um, that makes me giggle and i um reshare but with my artist hat on just for a second because i'd be really I'm quite often interested in your advice on this one because um as artists and in fact, Nina Simone, although I'm pretty sure someone probably said it before her, famously said, as artists, we have a duty to kind of represent and talk about what is going on in society. And more, Absolutely. And more and more artists uh, across different genres are using their music um, to um, you know, platform their particular causes. 
uh, which is, of course, amazing. But as you say, it, it can be a very dangerous game because you've got to try and find that that balance, certainly on social media. And I know, um, uh, and I won't name names because I'm not a name and shame person, but during COVID, <laughs> there's, an, there's an artist that I knew who yeah. basically started ranting about COVID big time. Uh, yeah. And he was he was very, very angry about it. Uh, and basically, instead of posting about music every day, he started posting about, you know, uh, COVID restrictions, uh, as we were all thinking and probably all having discussions. But he lost an awful lot of followers um, yeah. b- because that's all he was doing was kind of talking about COVID. Now, this is a subject that people needed to talk to. He needed to talk about it, but it did actually impact his music. So what what would your guidance be for artists who are using their music to um, say something that is particularly um, prominent and let's yeah, potentially controversial, let's say, uh, in society. How do they find yeah. that balance? I, I don't. I don't think you do. Um, and, and it and it was always like this: artists that were um, that were black that spoke out against what was going on racially in America in the 1930s and 40s ended up with shows being canceled. Mm. Um, Artists like the Beatles who had in their contract that they would not play to segregated audiences in America had shows canceled. Mm. Um, People that spoke out against the Vietnam War in the late 1960s in America and around the world um, got death threats sent to them. In the 70s, artists that... um, went that claimed that disco sucks, which was an absolute racist and homophobic um, uh, initiative, mm. were told that they weren't going to be played on on black U.S. stations where mm. sometimes they had their their own. Um, of course, in, you know, a lot closer to home when the Dixie Chicks spoke out mm. and then then the Dixie Chicks, now the Chicks spoke out and said that they were embarrassed that the president of the United States, George Bush, was from the state of Texas. Um, they got death threats. They got mm. shows canceled. They had to pull their kids out of school. Um, so history is marked with artists of of all genres, of all uh, temperaments, of all styles of, of the arts speaking out. Um, my advice is just be prepared to lose essentially all your followers because you actually might be guessing wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, there are still people who boo Bruce Springsteen talking about the Republicans at his shows. When part of it is like, you look at those audience members and you're like, what do you think Bruce Springsteen has been singing about for the last 50 years? <laughs> yeah. um, and um, so look, I, I, I as a publicist, I never I I never want to steer people and artists into a direction that they are not comfortable in. Because at the end of the day, I'm just a liaison between the the artist and the media, and they have every right to say what they want to say. Mm. But I feel sometimes it's my duty to let them know that if you go there, um, it's not going to be maybe quite what you expect. The amazing thing about having your own company is that I've actually dropped people um, during COVID from the roster because of what they were saying about COVID. Mm. Um, People that were anti-vaxxers, they were anti-maskers. Not only did it kind of stick in my stomach because it's like, what more proof do you need that this was real? Mm. Um, 
but that the media certainly wouldn't appreciate what you're writing about or what you're talking about um, because you're not Van Morrison. You're not Eric Clapton. You, you're you not bigger than the voice that you have, um, meaning that Eric Clapton could lose 10 or 15,000 people who are going to be not fans anymore because what his outspokenness was about during COVID. But Eric Clapton has 30 million fans around the world. So mm-hmm. he doesn't care. Um, he's set. He's set for life and your life and my life and other people's lives. When you're an independent artist, um, I, I, I wouldn't want to tell them to just shut up and sing. Um, but part of it is um, just be really careful. You have a voice and use it, but don't be surprised if it comes and bites you in the behind afterwards because because uh, it will. Yeah. Um, and, you know. Yeah, because it is a hard balance. And I find um, uh, this a challenge because I never, in fact, generally on social media, oh, God, you've managed to get me talking about me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) See how I did that? I know. I'm like, uh, because I've always been, you know, I don't get involved in discussions on social media at all. Um, I look at them all um, quite often. So I'm a bit of a voyeur on on Facebook. Yeah, me too. Totally. there's great conversations that go on and I love to see them, but I never participate because, you know, it, it just can go in the wrong direction. I mean, I love having a, a face-to-face discussion with people and I debate things all the time, but on social media, it very quickly goes, um, you know, in the wrong direction. But what I find challenging is there's certain times where something has happened um, where I will be talking about it all day, you know, with my friends, with colleagues, whoever it yeah. is, I will be, because I'm quite, you know, whether it's upset about it, angry about it, sad, about, you know, whatever it is. Um, but I, and I feel I kind of want to say something on social media so yeah. as an artist. And and I'll give you an example, Donald Trump. Yeah. Who, who's, he, who's he again? The, yeah, you, you may have the, heard of him. <laughs> the, the, the host of The Apprentice. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I became... I'm not going to use the word obsessed, but some may say obsessed. Um, oh, yeah, I I was. It was the greatest television show we've ever seen playing out in front of us. We were we I had CNN on the television all day and all night long. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I watch CNN an awful lot. And if I'm reading this brilliant book at the moment called Shakespeare and Trump. Um, which would be a whole other podcast. It's fascinating. It's kind of linking um, Shakespeare plays to Donald Trump. So it's taking the villains uh, and comparing them to Trump is fascinating. Um, but, you know, I um, and I think this may be about a year ago, I suddenly realized on Twitter that I had some some Trump supporters following me. And I had right. this debate. I'm like, well, I don't I, I don't want Trump supporters. And we're talking about the kind of really crazy. Yeah. Type. Yeah. Um, I'm like, you know, I, I don't I don't want them following me. And I went through all of my followers and I haven't got obviously the millions that you have. Uh, and anyone that seemed to me to be a Trump supporter, or I had MAGA in their intro. I, you know, unfollowed and blocked them. And I felt yeah. really how did, wonderful. And how did you that. feel after that? Amazing. I felt right. amazing. Yeah. But for a brief minute, I did think, oh, hang on. But these are followers. Is this is going to be an impact? But very quickly, I just went, no, do you know what? You know, I, I don't want these people to actually listen to my music. <laughs> yeah. 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 A, a, a lot of people, I think, felt that way. I think at the beginning of, of Trump and, and especially during COVID, I, I think people had a right to you know, to question a little bit what was going on um, and just be a, a, a 
a concerned citizen. But as it got deeper and deeper and deeper, and once January 6th happened, it was what side are you on? Mm. Um, what Because one side is absolutely just feeding you absolute lies. And the other side is um, trying to figure out how to get through all of this. And there, it was clear cut. It wasn't a... Um, uh, it, it wasn't even a discussion. Um, but the thing is that I'm not really selling anything. I'm selling me. Mm, mm. But very few times in my life have I had somebody say to me, I followed you on Twitter or I'm a fan of you on Facebook and I think you would be great for the project. Um, chances are it's happening the other way where um, they're coming to me because of the audience that I have on those platforms um, rather than the other way around. And so part of it is that I, I want to be super cautious because I think both sides can kind of dig what I'm doing, but it's funny, you know, some of the, some of the most beloved bands in my life, are very politically motivated. Um, I learned more about politics from REM than I ever did in a history class. Really? I learned more about what the 60s were like from the Beatles and the Stones and the Who and Janice and Jimmy and and uh, all uh, CCR um, just from just from reading their lyrics. Um, and so I learned more about what was going on in the world around me from musicians, both good and bad, both sides, um, than that. I, I think it's good to know what a Ted Nugent has to say about things, just so that I, I'm kind of turned on by the um by knowing more about the world through you know, I I sometimes feel like I want to get everybody's number. You know, mm -hmm. like I know who you are, you know. Um and and that's okay. But again, like nobody is looking for my view on politics. People are looking for my view on why concert tickets are really expensive. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, but but I had I had to learn that because it was like, oh, you know, I have all these followers. Maybe I can sway them. Maybe I can explain something to them. And it never worked. It never worked. Yeah, I mean, and I have to say, I don't know, I genuinely don't know how you do it because, and I've got on my, of my thoughts here, I've put knowledge question mark because, and I know you've worked in the industry for quite a few years. We, we, we don't need to say how many, but how on earth do you keep up to date with everything? I mean, I was watching um, a documentary the other day about David Bowie and who popped up? Yeah. You popped up. As, as the industry expert, uh, and I think it was um, a couple of days after he had died, uh, and you right. were the, the kind of the expert that they were talking about um, about David Bowie. Um, I mean, your knowledge is 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 insane. How? Because how... I don't know anything else. I don't know anything else. <laughs> I don't do know my phone number. I I don't know my postal code. <laughs> I I have I um because all of this stuff is fascinating to me. It's mm. it's. When I was, um, my, my grandfather had a bar in Toronto and the bar is still standing called Grossman's Tavern. And it, it opened in the, the, the 1940s. And it was one of, one of the first places to actually mix music, specifically blues music and alcohol. Um, and I remember going to the bar as a kid 
And to me, the music was fine, but I remember the people that were at the bar. I remember the community that was there. It was students, it was doctors, it was lawyers, it was homeless people that were just looking for a place to go for a couple of hours. It was um, every every ethnic race under the sun would go to this bar because it was situated right in downtown Toronto where it was so multicultural. Mm. And, um, and, and I learned that music was community and that they all had a story to tell. And when I was 12, I got a subscription of billboard magazine. It was the only thing I wanted. Um, at 12, that's the only thing at, you wanted at 12. at 12, because I wasn't looking, I wasn't just, I, I mean, I wanted to know what the charts were, but I, I was fascinated with the stories that they were writing about. Um, these people that I was reading about, the managers and the booking agents and the the producers, they were all like my version of Star Wars for, for some people or Harry Potter. I look at people who are like Harry Potter fans or The Last of Us or mm. any zombie series. And I'm like, how do you keep track of all these names? And then they look at me like, how do you know who produced this B-side from 1972? And I'm like, I don't no, like I guess you know it's the same kind of mild obsessiveness, but for fun. And it's it's the more that I read about, and the more that I watch, and the more that I think about, the more I realize that I don't know anything. I mean, I I just it, it's just one of those things where these these people were fascinating to me, and I wanted to be a part of it somehow. And I knew I couldn't sing. I knew I had no musical talent whatsoever, and I still don't. You should me in a studio i have no idea what anything does like <laughs> honestly i don't know how clapping works <laughs> like like i don't know if it's one person pushing the button or if there's a computer that is timed by it like See, I, i'm I, not sure i entirely believe that all the music that is i don't truly embedded I, in your very soul you must have rhythm you must have rhythm. no no <laughs> i stink i played in the worst cover band in the world once and the only reason why i was in this band was because i had the world's worst drum kit that was made up of nine other different drum kits um my parents let us rehearse so that's why i was in the band everybody else in the band went on to fame and fortune <laughs> in canada playing i'm the only one that stunk so uh, i would be literally counting out loud one two three four one two three four <laughs> one like because i couldn't figure i've got no coordination i'm amazing on the steering wheel when i'm driving <laughs> but you put me in front of a real drum kit i stink and i so but that's why i love all this stuff is mm. because what you do is magic to me what you do in trying to figure out what words fit is astonishing to me um and that's why i'm so so curious about why things happen the way that they are and why certain things happen in the studio um, where I find out that like a band like the Rolling Stones for Start Me Up started originally as a reggae song. And I'm like, that's amazing. And then I found out that they actually did start me up like 19 or 20 different ways and different tempos and different moods to find the one that would be great. I would be sitting there behind the board going, all of this is great. <laughs> You're the stones. It all sounds good. I don't know what's going to sell. Nobody knows what's going to sell. If we knew what was going to sell, we would do it every single day. So part of it is waking up fresh with like, this is 
is all amazing. And if you talk to the greatest songwriters, they'll tell you that some of the songs that they thought were absolute surefire hits bombed. And mm -hmm. some of the songs like the human league, don't you want me? Philip Oakley of the human league thought so little of it that he was so embarrassed by don't you want me that he stuck it as the last song on side B of the dare album because he thought that nobody would hear it. And it happened to be the biggest song of the year or you know the classic song that we're still listening to 45 years later so nobody really knows anything but as a publicist the best thing i can do is just kind of come up with a couple of angles for them to write about and let the music gods and goddesses and the gatekeepers decide for themselves what it is so that's the beautiful thing about it is that you and i don't get to decide what happens once that music is done and i kind of like that because if it was up to me everybody would be selling a million copies yeah, <laughs> that's true. And t and tell me though, because and, and I've written on uh, on my list of thoughts. I've, <laughs> I've I'm just going to read what I've put. I've put dogs question mark, and I've put Dog. does he ever listen? Does he ever not listen to music? So no, because I was no. I was just I, imagining I, that you spend all your time, literally, kind of twenty four seven, listening to music. But I know you have dogs, and I think you're quite passionate about your dogs. <laughs> and I'm yeah, kind of like, I'm, is that the only thing that you do outside of music? Is that your only time out when you perhaps take your dogs out for a walk, or yeah, is there any time yeah. without music? There's a couple of TV shows that I'm obsessed with that I'll that I'll gladly watch anytime it's on, like Succession or The Good Place or um, uh, Shit's Creek or or um uh arrested development um the okay. office um but yeah music from nine o'clock in the morning until midnight okay. um the radio is always on i'm i've got a couple of my favorite radio days that i listen to and then the rest of the time i'm listening to artists that i'm working mm. um because i really want to get inside of them i want to find out what the lyrics are all about i want to find out what what it makes me feel um and and how great they're all getting so yeah music on all the time all the time and how many artists because you know you, do you work with at any one point so this particular day how many artists are you actually working with at the moment I never reveal that oh do you um, not oh okay no because whatever number I give somebody mm. it's going to be either too low or too little depending on what they think is worth Oh, okay. I I wasn't thinking as a worth thing. Only I was more you. Thinking about, only you, well, Fiona. I was just thinking There's about only a workload. <laughs> yes, just me. Um, as it should I, be. I, I was just thinking I'm, workload. I'm just wondering how you juggle with so much music to listen to. Um, you know, it it's it it's weird that um um I I think I'm working the exact same artists in terms of amount that I always have when I was at at E1 and at Koch because mm. um, we were a distributor. So I would be working anywhere between um, my guess is maybe a hundred to 300 artists a mm. month. Wow. Um, and that's no, that's really not, that sounds like a lot and it is a lot, mm. but there are so many artists that don't get the same treatment as somebody that has been around for a while. Like for instance, let's take you. Mm. So you and I know, um, that not only am I going after everybody in jazz, but I'm going after everybody in music, um, everybody that covers women's music, mm -hmm. everybody that covers um, a little bit of the older demographic, because you and I are both the same age, which is 29. Um, <laughs> and I'm covering the UK market. 
and um, and London. And so there are other artists who might be, say, 15 years old mm -hmm. and playing punk music, but lives in the LGBTQIA plus community. Mm -hmm. And so those people are are so the people I'm going after are different from yours. And then there's other people that I work that might have similar interests or similar kinds of music. So I get to double up and then there's tour dates. So realistically, it, it's working from the, I, I don't know, maybe from seven o'clock in the morning until until midnight or 1 a.m. Um, and it was always like that. But book, book publishers, publicists are the same. They have mm. 300, 400 books that they work and everybody works there really really hard on something for about a week or two and then they kind of does itself and it's just a lot of it just follow up um but before i started my own company uh and it was just the way that technology worked um i would be you know 20 years ago i'd be sitting there faxing two thousand people at a minute each and so that i would just be sitting there and then i got a program that sent faxes automatically and then i got you know, a couple of phone lines. So then we would all phone each other. Now, the only time where my phone rings is if somebody dies or <laughs> like something bad happens um, or my mother calls. Um, <laughs> that uh, is one which, of those things when people phone now, it's like, who's, why are you phoning? I've why are that. you, <laughs> how dare you call me? Um, and, and so now everything is just done on email because it's so much easier for me to wrap my head around what I'm going to say if I'm looking at something. Um, so yeah, it's still a 16 hour day and, mm. but I wouldn't want to have it any other way though. Um, but I'm, I'm the kind of guy that even if I had one client, I would be working 16 hour days on that person because you're never finished. You never, ever, ever finished. There's always a new single, a new angle, a new photo shoot, um, uh, to kind of maybe plan or or run through. Um, there's a new piece of asset to to download. So there's always something going on. There's always new media outlet. There's always new Spotify playlists or to contact. Um, so whether I'm working, you know, thirty artists or forty or two, um, I'm never I'm never bored with what I do. And and you know what? This is one of the things. I mean, there's many things that that set you apart from kind of uh, your average uh, PR person, if you like, is that you do genuinely care. Uh, and I think yeah. that, you know, that shouldn't be taken. Well, in some ways it should be taken for granted, but it's not. And I'm sure <laughs> Take me for granted. <laughs> <I know>. um, <laughs> but you do. Yeah. So that type. So I know, you know, however many artists you've got, whatever work you're doing, I'm 100% convinced that you put your heart and soul into every single artist. And not everybody does that. Yeah, I, I have to because I because I know what everybody else charges. Mm -hmm. And so I at least across North America and I know I, I know I'm really, really affordable compared to what they are because I don't look at independent artists as a way to make my living. Mm -hmm. Um it, it it I never wanted the publicist to be the most expensive line listing in somebody's budget when they're trying to release a record. And I had that when I was at the record label and distributor, we would be paying a fortune for publicists that they only needed to work 10 clients a year at $10,000 each. Um, but I had to work 10 times more and harder and better and faster to get to that number. But that magic number with just a dollar amount, it was useless to me because as long as I was happy and the artist was happy, um, everything else didn't matter. However much money I made, however many artists I worked, the, the, 
because I want to be part of the cool club. <laughs> I, I, I want to be part of an artist cool club. Well, then you so shouldn't I be working with me. I'm not part of the cool club, Eric. You are. <laughs> look really... at you. Everybody look at her, even though that is audio. <laughs> yeah. but let's just stop and look at her. <laughs> um, but at, at, it's funny you should talk about being cool because I have to say on, on my list here, I, I was actually looking before just to see, because you have um, – uh, I think it's on YouTube or um, that you do a show. Is it called Sonic Reducers with uh, yeah, another nice person? Yeah, with Sonic Reducers. I used to do it with this guy named Daryl Sturden who yes. has a blog called Tinnitus. And so him and I would go and talk for five minutes about the music news of the day. And then we we kind of we stopped it because I, 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 um, I love talking to Daryl. Um, he's one of the smartest guys I've ever known in my life. But I, I would... I would always stop myself far too much from telling people how I really felt about something. So I needed to stop it because I got too vulnerable. They, um, were, they were brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant. But what was interesting, because because I'm going to ask you something in a second, which I, I'd never ask anyone because I hate those questions, but you you do it on this show. But before I get there, I have to say, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about um, who your kind of favorite artists were or which particular like your top 10 because I, I hate it when someone says, says to me who's your you know your, your top favorite singers or your you know when, when yeah. you're asked to name and there's and you know there's all these lists about the best drummers in the world the best singers in the world yeah. I, I I um I hate all that just because I have so many influences I don't want to be pinpointed because you always miss someone else yeah. but I was genuinely and I was I, I literally went oh <gasps> And then I cracked up, I started laughing when on a show I watched, um, you were talking about the world's best drummer. Yeah. And please it's tell our listeners, Phil Collins. It's Phil Collins. There's no other, there's no question. I, I, I right behind me is a huge poster of Genesis. I, I've loved Phil Collins since I was a kid. Um, yeah, uh, Talk Talk, In Excess, Genesis, R.E.M., Wet leg, Fiona Ross. Um, <laughs> they're they they're all up there. Uh, Marvin Gaye, um, Aretha, Sam Cooke, um, yeah, so many. Um, but yeah, I I am a Phil uh, in my house. <laughs> in my house, when you come in through the front door, you'll see a bunch of really nice, wholesome um family <laughs> photos and right in the middle is a is a black and white eight by ten of phil collins are you serious uh, are you you're that obsessed yeah. with him yeah 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 he's even um, when he left genesis even when you know, when he went and did his yes. solo thing yes because that's Just, the time i think it, people split i mean genesis that's one thing but then when he left solo thing that's when i think the divide happened and why yeah, him as your choice as best drummer so not artist i, I became drummer, more upset yeah yeah um because i I could sing Phil Collins's drum rolls. I can sing. I can do my 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 ringtone on my phone is in the air tonight. It's that drum is a roll. track. I mean, that is it's, an amazing. It scares track. the crap out of people that are around me that aren't expecting it when that drum roll comes in. Um, but um, yeah, he uh, <laughs> my my daughter uh, did a number of speaking. Um, opportunities with an organization called Me to We, mm -hmm. and one of the 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 times where she was speaking um, was with Lily Collins, Phil's mm -hmm. daughter, and so we met Lily and her mother backstage. And Hannah, 
my daughter knows that I'm I'm keenly aware of and obsessed with Phil. Uh, my wife knows. So we're all there, and they're all talking. You know, they're just they're just you know, shooting the breeze, and I'm looking at them like you're Phil Collins' daughter, like you're like you are the person that all of these songs are about. And I got kind of flabbergasted because I've been around people that I have thought about and loved every day for years, like a Ringo Starr or, or, you know, people that, that I ended up working with, like all these bands in the eighties that I watched on much music, I'm working with almost all of them or yeah. have worked with You've almost worked all with of them. Incredible artists. Like you really yeah, have. So it's, it's wild. And in Canada, like I went, like there are people like a Randy Bachman or Sash Jordan or Barney Bentall or Colin James or Stu Foley. And I'm like, I bought your stuff. Like I lined up for tickets to go to go and see you, and and we're working together. Like, you know, aren't you excited as I am? <laughs> you know? Like, and so, but th that's where the whole magic and thrill of it comes along. But yeah, I will I will fight anybody to prove that Phil Collins is is the greatest drummer that ever lived. And I, I I get all the arguments. I get I get like Keith Moon and John Bonham and Buddy Rich. Like I get all of that. Um but for me, there was just nobody that was able to do what what they were doing and write the same songs and have the success than then Phil was. I mean he sold a hundred million albums in both Genesis and Solo. He's only one of three artists other than Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson to do that. Um I, I know I'm right. And anybody that's grown up with Tarzan Disney knows I'm right too. <laughs> Honestly, I was so shocked to hear that. I also imagine if we had a separate show that was just oh, talking you about wanna, Phil Collins. You want to talk of you want to talk about losing followers. See, I don't have to post about Donald Trump. I can just post an, an yeah. unpopular opinion that Phil Collins is yes, the greatest drummer in the world, and I will not take any question and watch my number drop. Like a <laughs> Who is this fool that I'm following? But that's exactly what would happen. And that's what would be hysterical because someone like Phil Collins, it is you, you, you either with you. And I, I'll be honest, I don't know many people who would be, yes, you're right, Eric. Most people would 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 have that whole conversation about, no, it's Steve Gadd or it's and they'd start listening. That oh, would totally. become an epic conversation about oh, I, how I wrong think, you are. <laughs> I, I, I think some of the, the some of my favorite bands. I think are are really, really undervalued. So when I think about, you know, I wonder who likes Echo and the Bunnymen, mm -hmm. just for instance, they're throwing it out there. And and I try to picture how excited they get when an Echo and the Bunnymen song comes on or people who have followed Simple Minds mm -hmm. for 16 albums mm -hmm. um, and then times that by 50 and I'm not for Tears for Fears. And so when I sat down with Kurt and Roland from the band a couple of times, the first time that I sat down with them, um, I didn't have any questions. And and it was for the radio show. And I remember just saying, I, I don't even want to ask you anything. I just want to look at you. <laughs> like I just like like I just like I, I think my first question honestly was do you understand the brilliance of of you both and they were just like what kind of an interview is this and I'm like how did you get this sound that probably nobody has noticed and and it goes back to the whole thing of like it's all magic like I was asking it took I, I think I talked to Roland maybe for about 20 minutes based on the song Shout.
Yeah. Which, which to me is one of those songs where you started with a blank tape, mm. a absolute blank tape with no Cole's notes or cheat notes. And you created this. How on earth did you do this? And that's that's what my look, my radio show isn't about that, which is good because I'm not selling it very well. Um, But a lot of it comes from I, I don't. I I I want to come at them from a fan perspective because I am one and I'm not going to gush over everybody, but it, it allows me to maybe ask some of the questions that I think don't get asked about. Like, okay, so for instance, last week I had on the show um, Zach Braff, who is a director. He did um, he did a whole bunch of movies. He did he directed and wrote the Garden State movie, and he's got a new movie coming out. Um, and I asked him halfway in the middle of the conversation. Because he's a huge music fan and he got um, one of the guys from the National to create the music. And he's always looking for all these really cool and hip indie bands to put on the soundtrack. And, and, and I asked him, how do you know in a scene when to put music in mm. and when to just go silent? And how do you know to use a popular song to grab people for the viral aspect mm. and how to use an an unknown song or an orchestral song like how do you decide that mm. because those are the things that i don't know and he said to me you know in like 30 years of doing the 20 years like nobody's ever asked me that and i kind of felt embarrassed for a second because i thought it was such a stupid question <laughs> but that's how i come at it like yeah. how do these people know that like i want to know and I know we're getting far off a tangent, no, no, you go for but it. but like what I want to, what I'm fascinated with. Okay, so everybody knows that Kate Bush is running up the hill was mm. in, um, was in Stranger Things. Um, spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. Um, and um, uh, but I want to know what happens after the first moment that somebody says this is kind of going viral, mm. like. Because from a publicist perspective, does somebody tell Kate Bush don't talk about it? You're going to be hard to get. I don't want to put you out there. We're going to just let this madness feed upon itself. The more you talk about it, the more you reveal to people what the song means. And we don't want that. We want everybody to get their own perspective. I want to know how much money is then put into boosting the post on TikTok. I want to know when they do it. Do they hit, um, do they hit adults first because they know the song? And maybe not Stranger Things fans, or do you go after Stranger Things fans who are knowingly not even having a clue who Kate Bush is and let them own it? Do you not do anything and cross your fingers that hopes that it blows up on itself? That's the stuff I'm interested in. I want to know I, the marketing side of it. That I think that I and I love examples like that, you know, when uh, and again, this is probably, you know, obviously me showing my age, but when, you know, young people, um, I, oh God, I sound old saying that, but, you know, said to me, oh my God, if you heard this great new song on Stranger Things and I'm like, Kate, right. it's Kate Bush. But I love that. <laughs> I love it when, you know, music that one generation has never heard of but to some people it's like how can you not know Kate Bush how can you not know you know all because, the great songs because and when we were growing up in the 80s and we were listening to this new band called The Doors mm -hmm. after the movie came out I'm sure they were smarmy 
old stoners that were like, I saw the doors in 1968 before, <laughs> you know, like they, they were just, they were, they were just as mad as we were, yeah. you know, <laughs> look, every, every snot nose kid out there eventually gets the Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd or the they doors. Do, or though, the don't they? And, 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 and it's a magical thing. It really Everybody, is. And so you can't be, I remember when Billie Eilish got a lot of flack because she did an interview a couple of years ago, not that long ago. And I think Jimmy Fallon, they got in a conversation on their show and Billie Eilish admitted that she had no idea who Van Halen was. Mm -hmm. And she got so much hate, mm -hmm. not only from the, from the fans of Van Halen, but the media that were just like, educate yourself. And it's like, she's 19. Yeah. Why on earth? Would she even hear a Led Zeppelin song? Mm. She's been in the studio recording her pop songs, torch songs, love songs, breakup songs, mm -hmm. going around the world, doing promotion for an album that seemingly sold 50 million copies. When on earth is she going to hear this? And I was just like, I kind of felt bad for her and I did feel bad for her. So, I, you know, we, we should just be happy that anybody listened to any music. I don't care what kind of music it is. Oh, no, absolutely. And I have to say, you know, because I, I was genuinely fortunate with the, kind of my musical upbringing. Uh, and, you know, and this is something I, I mean, it's not, I had absolutely no um, influence on this, but my mum was into classical music. So she wanted me yeah. to be basically like Mary Poppins, like Judy Andrews. That's, that was her dream for me. So she liked that opera. Yeah, she's very much into opera. My dad was into more old school jazz. So he liked the kind of Bing Crosby, uh, quite early jazz, Louis Armstrong, but quite, you know. Um, but my brother, who is 10 years older, older than me, he, yeah. well, I used to think he was cool. He's he's not cool. And, <laughs> and, he, and he won't be listening to this. I'm not ashamed anyway, but yeah, he, I used to think he was cool. So he's 10 years older than me. So he was never around. So I would go down into his bedroom uh, when yeah. he wasn't in and rifle through all his records. Okay. And, and what did that, he have? He had Ricky Lee Jones, Joni Mitchell, the Eagles, yeah. Blondie, all this really cool, but kind of rock singer, Billy Joel. I mean, a lot of my influences, to be fair, as a writer yeah. came from that. But then, of course, during the time when I was growing up, you know, as a vocalist, um, you know, Whitney Houston, Anita Baker, all these great yeah. kind of you know, vocalists. So I had this really beautifully rich and I was classically trained as a pianist. Um, so I right. had this beautifully rich um, kind of upbringing. Um, but obviously not everyone has that. Uh, and But you do get there eventually. And as I say, I, you know. You, I, you do. I mean, my grandfather had a lot of old blues and jazz 78 mm. and with this, with the record player that still played it so i remember listening to that but i remember my aunt had all these um 60s um these these 60s uh records and when um, the movie american hot wax came out in 1978 i saw it um in the in the theaters and it told the story of the DJ Alan Freed, who mm. kind of created the first rock and roll concert in Cleveland um, in, in the 50s. And on this in the film with the real life Jerry Lee Lewis and Chuck Berry, but everybody else around them were like actors and actresses playing these fictional, these real life people, but in mm. a fictional format. Um, so I remember as a kid loving, you know, the Buddy Holly 
Mm -hmm. and and chuck and and jerry lee lewis and going like these people are from a different planet than i am um and then when i was going through my sister's record collection she had donny osmond she had all the k-tel goofy great stuff she had the partridge family and the bay city rollers and that stuff was just as important to me Mm -hmm. than the beatles abbey road Mm -hmm. because when your brain is so P style as I was, um, that stuff is just as important. And you're kind of embarrassed by it when you're growing up until somebody like Michael Stipe from REM comes mm-hmm. along and says, I was influenced by um by the the Archies and Joni Mitchell and Patty Smith and um uh and you know Saturday morning cartoons. Mm-hmm. And it's like now it makes sense. And so when people say, you know, and I always get asked to do the, these interviews about like, let's talk about guilty pleasures. And I always say, yeah, absolutely. Just so you know, that doesn't exist in my world. I'm the same. Because, I, there is no you know, shame. I have Saturday night fever beside a Beethoven box set. Absolutely. And to me, they're both a genius because yeah. again, they started off with just a blank slate mm. and how they created that is magic to me. Yeah, no, there's no shame in that. I, yeah, and no. I, I've, I've been asked that myself, what's your guilty pleasure? And I'm like, I'm out and proud with everything I do. <laughs> no, I Especially mean, the village music. people, you put on the village people at YMCA and you break down YMCA. It's as great as a pop song as yesterday by the Beatles, you know? Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, I nearly went into a Trump thing then because he used YMCA, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> stop, stop myself because he spoiled that song for me. <laughs> um, and I'm aware that we could talk for ages because I think we've been chatting for a while. But I need to nobody, ask nobody's, you. nobody's listening. It's okay. Nobody. That's true. They people saw Eric Alper and they were like, "He's on my stream, <laughs> and I have to listen to him talk." <laughs> but you mentioned your incredible daughter. Uh, and I'm hoping uh, that she may be a guest on this podcast in a, in a future episode. Oh, she'd love to. I would yeah. love to talk to her because your daughter, I mean, if there were parenting awards, I mean, surely you'd get one. I mean, she's just this incredible woman that, you know, that you have managed to, well, I say create, obviously she is her own woman and very independent and doing her thing. But, you know, let's be honest, you must have had something to do with it. So how proud um... must you be of Hannah? Yeah, uh, immensely every single day. Um, she started a blog at nine years old and uh, we told her that she couldn't write about Justin Bieber because everybody else was. So you have to find another passion of yours to write about. And um, uh, she loved all, she's always loved animals. And so she realized that we affect the environment and the environment affects the animals. So she started writing about all the little things that people can do in their community to make the world a better place like doing garbage cleanup or you know um more earth-friendly product and, and that kind of grew and grew and grew and uh she started speaking around the around north america about her work and she wrote a book when she was 16 years old called momentous and she interviewed people that were influenced in her life like malala and other mm-hmm. kind of presidents and ceos that are doing good um and she's in university now taking the media in technoculture program at Western University in London, Ontario. Uh, and I'm immensely proud. Uh, my, my wife had a lot to do with it. But, but I think if anything, I kind of gave her that love of music. And 
a little bit of a keen sense on how the media operates because there were a lot of times when when I had to stop myself when she was doing media interviews to just continually to to continue to treat her like my daughter mm. rather than a client that I was doing publicity for. Um, so there were there were a couple of times I, I'll readily admit that I, I you know get up at five thirty in the morning and forget that she's my daughter, but instead. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody that I had to drive around town like most of my clients um, for this interview and stuff. But yeah, she's uh, she's she's wildly um, she makes me happy so much. Oh, yeah, she, honestly, Thank you for she, mentioning her. Oh, no, honestly. And as I say, on my list of thoughts, that was uh, one of the first things I put down because she is incredible. And I do hope to have her on as a guest. So we will uh, I will hopefully explore Hannah more. But yeah, she's she's such an inspiration. Uh, and, and the fact that she's so young and she's achieved so much and. Um, yeah, no, she's absolutely incredible. Um, I'm I'm going to uh, end our chat uh, very soon with one final question, if I may. Uh, and I'm genuinely interested. Um, so what is on your to-do list for today? Like, what have you got to do today? Uh, I'm going to take my two dogs out for a walk and listen to a podcast. And then I'm looking at a bunch of emails that I need to get through. Uh, Summer is starting, so the tour dates are happening. And uh, and I'm going to be following up and 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 working with this amazing jazz artist named Fiona that um, <laughs> uh, and getting her music out there. So uh, that's my priority is uh, uh, talk to the media, hang out, listen to music and generally have a grand old time by myself. That sounds like a great to do list. <laughs> it is. It's it's <laughs> I'm, I'm really I'm really content. I'm 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 so happy to. Not have to work in an office. I don't have to contend with traffic. I'm. Mm. I work downstairs. I see people when I want to. I rarely go out because I want to work all the time. And I'm so, I'm so happy and I'm so, I'm so ecstatic that I get to do this. I'm going to be doing this until the day I die. You know. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, and um, you are um. See, I use the word inspirational too often, I think, but it's it's an excellent word to use. But I think part oh, of... Thanks, Fiona. But it's true, but I think part of what... Uh, it's not just me, but everybody that that is kind of... You're kind of magnetic with your energy and your truth. And I think especially if we look at um, the music industry and certainly the music business side, um, to find someone like you is rare. So you are well, especially because anybody that will rate Phil Collins number one on any drummer list is is rare in itself. I, so I, it's going to take me a while to get my head around that. <laughs> I'm going to have to dwell on that because I'm not. I'm generally not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It's so it's so great to talk to you anytime, any place, anywhere. Thank you so much. Uh, so thank you for being a guest and thank you for listening uh, to Thoughts, Conversations and To-Do Lists with me, Fiona Ross. I'm just going through my to-do list.